0: Hi, my name is Mark Riggins and I'm pastor here at Life Point, located in Plano, Texas and we meet here every Sunday at 10.30 and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14 Isaiah 7.14 this is our new memory verse for the month of December. So would you stand with me? It'll appear right here, which means you get to read it for the first time together and you'll have it memorized by the time we're done with the month, but say it out loud with me today, church. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, Isaiah seven 14. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this promise to be with us. You are here in this room today. We welcome you here. May we hear from you, our Creator and Lord, I pray. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you would. Now, one of the things about Christmas is, if you think of presents or gifts when it comes to Christmas, then you might even think all the way back to when you were a kid. And here's the memory I want to bring up for you. What is the most disappointing Christmas present you ever received when you were a child? How's that for a way to start off today? I'll tell you mine and then I'm gonna ask you to share yours. Mine was when I was about 12 years old, my grandmother and grandfather would always get me a football for Christmas. I loved this Christmas and even though I knew what it was gonna be, I just anticipated it. Until one year at the age of 12, she made me a quilt Now, I love the quilt because I still have it today and it's become more meaningful over the years, but at age 12, that stunk, right? (laughs) So here's what I want you to do. Take 15 seconds and ask the person beside you, what was, when you were a child, the most disappointing Christmas gift you ever received? Go ahead. Hey, those of you who are online, it's so great to have you with us today. I'm glad that you're checking in. And just know we're going to be going through the book of Genesis today. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with us to chapter 37. All right. Now, that's great. You've shared it. You've asked it. Now, if I can get you to refocus, there's way too much energy on a disappointing gift today. Yeah. Okay, I see some fingers being pointed. I didn't say the most disappointing gift your spouse ever got you when you were a child. That was very intentional, okay? And I will tell you as parents, because I think we've kind of nailed it when it comes to getting our kids gifts, but I asked my 13-year-old yesterday, what's the most disappointing gift we ever got you? And with a blink, she knew it and said it. And I thought, wow, it just doesn't matter. We're all creating scars in future psychiatrists' pocketbooks, right? That's just the way it is. Hey, look, I don't know when you think of Christmas, but I think for a lot of us, we know what disappointment's about. And as we get to be adults, our disappointment's raise, don't they? Like, it's no longer about just getting a quilt over a football. It's actually about some things that matter, some things that really leave deep and lasting impact in our lives. It's difficult sometimes to be an adult, isn't it? And I don't know what you think of when you think of the Christmas season. You may say things like Jesus. You might think of the manger. You might think of Christmas lights or the Christmas tree or family. Or you may think disappointments struggles, wrestling, because this is the time of year when a lot of people are excited and a lot of people are celebrating, but you've got this new pain in your life that you've not had before. And their celebration almost magnifies your pain and your darkness. Because this just might be the first year without someone special in your life. This might be the year where the dysfunction in your family or the division in your family has really become more apparent And it's seemingly magnified in the Christmas season. So in this series, God with us, we're going to talk about things like disappointment, anxiety, and envy. So why is that relevant? Because we believe the overarching theme of Christmas is relevant to all three of those things. And this is it. Here's the overarching theme of Christmas. It is that God wants to be with us. And that's so important. Because this is the story of Christmas. Did you know the very first name of Jesus? We just read it was Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. Yeah, you guys got it. Why does that matter? Why did God think that was so important for us to know that when he named his son on earth, it was God with us? You see, when we think of the Christian story, here's what we are. If we're not careful, here's what we'll do. We'll think of the cross, which is critical, right? Because it's where we were rescued. It's where we were redeemed. But we need to think of the story of Christmas with not only the cross, but also Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem and Jesus coming to earth reminds us that God himself wants to be with us. He doesn't just want to rescue us. He also wants to be with us. And here's the beauty in all of history. There are a lot of babies who have become kings, but there was only one king who became a baby. And you know why he became a baby? So he could be with you. He didn't just want to redeem you now today he wants to be with you and that's so significant because it's relevant because now God wants to be with us in our disappointment and if you're here today and you're wrestling with some kind of disappointment I just want you to know this God is fully aware of your pain and God is with you in your pain that is a game changer. Now hundreds of years before Jesus ever even came to this earth, there was this crazy prophecy that in the moment made no sense. And we just read it a while ago, it was Isaiah 7:14. In fact, I want you to say it out loud again because again, this is our memory verse and this is the way we're gonna put it to memory. Say it with me. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign the Virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel Isaiah seven fourteen. Now, this is a crazy prophecy because nothing's happened yet. Why is he going to send God to the earth? And then hundreds of years later in the first century, there was this angel who appears to Mary, the soon-to-be mother of Jesus, and references back to this prophecy that was given hundreds of years earlier and quotes the prophet. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look what it says. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And then in the same verse goes on to define it again, which means God with us. God didn't want us to miss this, that he was coming to earth, not just to rescue us, but to be with us. You see, this year, God wants us to know he is with us in our disappointments. Now, here's the question. If God is with us in our disappointments, then how is it that we would define our disappointments? And I want to just kind of use this standard definition for our disappointment. It is the gap between what we expect versus what we experienced. The gap between what we expected versus what we experienced. Here's a good example. I expected a football, I got a quilt. That's disappointment to a 12-year-old, right? And I don't know where in your life you have that gap between what you expected and what you experienced, but man, is that real disappointment. Now there are three things that kinda lead to our disappointment or to our expectations. The first is dreams. This is the idea that I see on social media, other people's vacations, I see their dreams, and I begin to think, you know, I think I would like that too, and after a while, my dreams have a hard time matching my reality, right? Another way is just simply comparing my life to other people. And I begin to think, well, wait a minute. I I, I would be happy if I had that. In fact, some social experts say that you wouldn't be happy if you made $50,000 and everybody else made $50,000. You would actually be happier if you made $40,000 and everybody else made $30,000. Why is that? Because we find a lot of our expectations by comparing ourselves to other people and then number three we compare ourselves to the past if my past is better than my present then there is a gap between what I expected and what I'm experiencing and I am disappointed all of these things fuel our expectations all of these things can fuel our disappointment well the truth is today we're going to look at a man in the bible who struggled with disappointment here's the kicker He was convinced God was with him. He was convinced God was in control. And yet, he had all kinds of disappointment. How? Do you put those two things together? So let me introduce you to this guy now. We're going to be introduced to this man named Joseph. And just know, his story is recorded in Genesis thirty-seven fifty. If you're new to Scripture, just know. It can be confusing because there's two Josephs, and we're in the Christmas season. And this isn't that Joseph, the Joseph married to Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. We're not, not that Joseph. Think Old Testament Joseph, if you know anything about the Bible, the guy with the coat of many colors, Okay. Old Testament Joseph. Well, this Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham, and he actually is also the son of Jacob. He's one of 11 other sons. Big family, right? Can you imagine that Christmas gathering? And then, here's the resume, though, of Joseph's life. This is why he knows disappointment. Look at this. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was enslaved. He was falsely accused. He was wrongfully imprisoned. And then, he was abandoned and forgotten. I'd say this guy's qualified to learn from when it comes to disappointment, wouldn't you say? And yet he was convinced that God was with him. How can those two things coexist? And that's what we're going to learn from today. Because sometimes, like Joseph, we don't experience quite what we expected. And and maybe you're here, and if you're honest, this is your story. You thought your health would be better than it is right now. You thought your relationships would be better than they are right now. You thought your career would be further along. You would have gotten that promotion. You would have thought that your retirement would be better than it is, that your children would have turned out making wiser decisions than they're making. Your reality is not matching your expectation. And you, like Joseph, you know disappointment. You feel like you're living in it. And then here's the question. Well, then, how do I respond to disappointment? And later we're going to learn, how do I even pray? when I'm wrestling with disappointment. Let's learn from Joseph's story today. And I think, and my prayer is, that as we wrestle with it, those of us who are wrestling with disappointment, and by the way, those of us who aren't, we will again someday soon. So let's learn from Joseph, and my prayer is that his story will be encouraging. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the row. You can just pick it up. Turn to the very easiest book in the Bible to find the very first one, Turn to chapter 37, and we'll look at the story together. We're going to cover a lot in this story today. It's just such a great narrative. Genesis chapter 37. Let me give you a little backstory because Joseph has had this crazy dream. Joseph dreams, in fact, it's recorded in verse 5 of chapter 37 that says he began to dream. He dreams he's going to be powerful. He's going to be influential. He even dreams that his family will eventually bow down before him. Pretty wild dream, isn't it? When Joseph dreams, he dreams all the way. See, the truth is, it's not risky to dream a dream like that. What Joseph is going to discover is it's dangerous when you share that dream with other people, right? By the way, Dad, right, how does that conversation go? Well, we're about to see how it goes here in just a second. I don't know if you've ever had a dream. I've had a dream. I remember in 2007, I had a dream. God, I believe, just laid on my heart that I would eventually, I felt drawn to, called to, whatever term you would use, to, to lead a church that was laser-focused on reaching people for Jesus. You ever had a dream? Maybe, maybe it was when you are a kid, but maybe it's when, it's when you're an adult where you would think, hey, you know what, I have a dream for my marriage, I have a dream to be married, I have a dream for my health, I have a dream for my, my, my stage of life, I have a dream of things I thought I would have or do or people I would know. What is your dream? There's nothing, there's nothing more fun than dreaming, right? It's in the sharing of the dream and then the executing of the dream where there is risk. And that's what Joseph is about to find out. He's about to go tell dad and brothers about his dream. And you can imagine how that goes. Look at Genesis chapter 37 and verse 10. When he, Joseph, told his father as well as his brothers about his dream, his father rebuked him and said... What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. I would guess so. But his father kept the matter in mind. Wow, what a powerful dream Joseph had. Then he tells his family about it. His family's not so excited because you see in his youthful enthusiasm... Joseph was blinded to the fact of how the dream would impact his father and his brothers and his family. And the bottom line is his family turned their back on him. Because they found the dream offensive. As we go through the story of Joseph, I'll share a little bit of my personal journey with one example of disappointment. Because in 2007, as I mentioned, I had a dream. 2008, that dream was fueled even further because all of a sudden, I, along with four other pastors in the country, were selected by one of the largest churches in America to plant five churches in the country that were laser focused on reaching people for Jesus. Needless to say, I was pretty excited. I was pretty elated. Yeah, we had to hit some benchmarks to get fully green lighted, but the dream was coming true. So with that joy and maybe in my youthful enthusiasm, I was blinded from the impact that my news and my dream would have on my pastor. See, I was going to start the new church in the same town, which was our hometown, and I saw that as an opportunity for a partnership. My pastor saw that as an opportunity for competition, and so he objected, and he fired me. And I'll remember that moment where I said, God, you told me to do this. I'm convinced. Did I misunderstand you? Are you paying attention? What happened when I follow a dream and it leads to greater disappointment? Like Joseph, after sharing my dream that I was certain God had given me, I felt betrayed and turned on by those who were closest to me. Ever been there? Ever dreamed a dream for your life, for your career, for your family, or for your future, and then you share it with the people closest to you, and instead of supporting you, they seem to fail you or even turn on you? You see, sometimes it's hard to figure out what good could come from this. What in the world, God, are you up to? Are you still in charge? Are you still with me if this could happen? Sometimes it feels like random, pointless disappointment, doesn't it? Well, here's the true story for Joseph. It's about to get worse. Look down at verse 16, or rather verse 19. Verse 19, he approaches his brother. Remember, he shared the dream. They've turned on him. They see him coming, and they say... Here comes that dreamer. Now they've labeled him. they are sort of gone beyond ridicule. Now it's becoming bitterness. Now it's even becoming hate we're going to see. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Look at this. Let's kill him. Wow. It's not like let's ground him. Let's kill him. And throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, that's some bitterness, isn't it? Dreams don't come true if you can no longer dream, right? That's what they're thinking. We'll show you, Joseph. Well, now you skip to, and the, apparently they have a, like a moment of consciousness. Look at verse 27. It says, eventually one of the brothers kind of wise up and thought, you know what? Instead of killing him, we can actually sell him and make money. We can sell him into slavery, and we can actually make money on this deal. So he says, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, which would take him to Egypt for, and sell him into slavery. And let's not lay our hands on him. And here's the moment of consciousness. Look what it says. After all, he is our brother. He is our own flesh and blood. And so his brothers agreed. Isn't that just a beautiful moment of sibling camaraderie? <laughs> let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. After all, he's our brother. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you hope that for your children? All right. So we fast forward the story to Genesis chapter 39. We go to verse 1 because now Joseph is enslaved. What's happening to Joseph now? Well, his story just gets worse. Look at verse 39. It says, Now Joseph has been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, he's the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him there. So now he is enslaved. But... Look at this next verse, and I want you to just read that first part out loud with me. Say it with me. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, I feel all kinds of conflict when I read that, because it seems like his life is getting worse, but Joseph is convinced that God is with him. God is with him. Now, the question is, but is it helpful that God is with you? Can you coexist the idea of God's presence with my disappointment and my seemingly increasing disappointment because I can't help but think there is one thing I know Joseph can see. Last night I was sleeping in my own bedroom and now I'm in Potiphar's house and I'm a slave and I am no longer free to do what I want. I am purchased by this family to serve them and my family has betrayed me. He can see his disappointment. And isn't the way our mind works exactly like that? In fact, when you have a front row seat to your own disappointment, it's hard to see anything other than your disappointment. And that's where Joseph is. He can see his disappointment. He looks around and there it is. And guess what? It only gets worse. Because eventually Potiphar's wife begins to make advances on Joseph and is trying to seduce Joseph. And Joseph refuses her advances. Her being, uh, feeling humiliated and bitter toward him taking the high road. Look how she responds in verse 16. She kept his cloak, Joseph's cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave Joseph that you brought us came to me to make sport of me, claiming he assaulted her. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, now let's just be honest here and recap Joseph's story up until this point. So far, let's recap it. He's been betrayed by his brothers. Horrible. Sold into slavery. That's a little worse. Then he's falsely accused of sexual assault. That's a lot worse. And now he's wrongfully in prison. But here's the good news, because the next verse tells us, if you look at the next passage, but while Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him. I don't know about you, but I wonder if Joseph is thinking at this point, God, could you go be with someone else? (laughs) Right? Because this ain't working out too well. I don't doubt your presence, but my disappointment continues to increase. What's the problem? What am I missing? Some scholars say this season of Joseph's life between his enslavement and his imprisonment lasts up to 20 years. This is an extended period. These are the formative years of his life. Now, I don't know about you, but that just sounds painful. Well, see, for me in 2008, we gave it a a two-and-a-half-year try. I mentioned those benchmarks when we were starting this church. We didn't hit them. And so me and those other four pastors, we all felt like we had failed. Even though we were convinced God had given us this dream... We were convinced God was with us, but our disappointments kept increasing. What do you do when you're convinced God is with you, but your disappointments continue to increase? I want you to see this next passage, which I find really odd, because it has a positive tone, but the content doesn't feel encouraging to me. Look what it says in verse 21. So the Lord was with him, He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Watch this. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Here here it is again. Because the Lord was with Joseph. And gave him success in whatever he did. I think the rest of that sentence should have finished, though. Gave him success in whatever he did in prison. Yeah, here's the... I'm reading that, and up until now, I'm thinking, okay, so God with us means that you get to be a prison boss. Any takers? Anybody go, okay, if God's with us, I'm going to end up in a dungeon for 20 years for something I didn't do. Anybody want to just jump on that bandwagon? And here we... It sounds like it's a positive thing. God is with us even in this prison. Joseph finds himself there. And I wonder, is this what Isaiah meant? In his prophecy in 714 when he said, The Lord himself will surely give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. And God is coming to earth and he will be with you. Surely he meant something more. I know for our family, after our church closed, we packed up and moved 1,300 miles west to a city called Ventura, California, and it was exactly where God wanted us to be with people who made a deep impact in us that'll last a lifetime. But it was a long way from family, and it still wasn't the vision that we had in 2007. So there were a lot of unanswered questions that we had at that point. We know what we really wanted We wanted clarity. We wanted to know why. The question sometimes we never get the answer to. And this is where Joseph's story is about to take a turn. And he is about to receive clarity. In fact, we're going to fast forward quite a bit here. Because Joseph's story is so powerful if you know it well, eventually he gets freed from that prison in a miraculous way. He ends up being seen as such a wise man that the man in charge, Pharaoh puts him in the number two seat over the entire nation. And then in a crazy set of events there is eventually a famine throughout the entire region and neighboring nations come to Egypt for food. Including the nation of Israel, including his own brothers, come to Egypt seeking food. And guess who is in charge of the distribution of the food, but Joseph. And Joseph realizes that he is actually saving his brothers, he's saving his family. Here's what's fascinating when Joseph begins to eventually connect the dots. Joseph realizes that he is saving his family because he was put into a prison where he was eventually discovered by Pharaoh. He was put into a prison because he was falsely accused by Pharaoh. Potiphar's wife. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife because he had been enslaved. He was enslaved because he was betrayed by his brothers. And he was betrayed by his brother because of a dream which eventually came true. It was the valley of disappointment to get him into the place that God wanted him to be in. And all of the sudden he sees the point of it all. But then there's a fascinating twist to the end of the story. In Genesis chapter 50 The very last chapter, I want you to see it. Genesis chapter 50. I love to hear your Bible pages turning. Genesis chapter 50. I want you to look with me at verse 15. Now Joseph's brothers saw that their father, Jacob, was dead. Uh Uh-oh. And they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him. After all, we did think about killing him and then we betrayed him and sold him into slavery. And He might just hold that against us. I don't know. And they're worried about it. They felt like as long as dad's alive, we're in good hands. But now that dad has passed away, what if Joseph, who is in power, decides to seek revenge? And if anybody's ever done you wrong in this part of the story, you're tempted to cheer Joseph on and get them back and give them what's coming right now look at verse 18 where they have an idea because of their fear of joseph's retaliation his brothers came to him and threw themselves down before him we are your slaves they said they're willing to be the slaves now you see we don't often think about their life didn't turn out the way they expected either Uh, you know yeah they did a lot of things wrong in the early part of the story and yet they're the ones who experienced a famine and had to move to a neighboring country and raise their kids there and well they had all these expectations but it didn't match what they were experiencing and now they're going to end the end of their life bowing down to the one who they betrayed and feared the most And it's because they come into that moment so disappointed that there's one person in the room, Joseph, who has an opportunity to encourage the disappointed one, to show them God's grace. And this may be applicable for some of us in the room today who maybe don't have a huge disappointment that we're wrestling with in our own life. And that may be the very opportunity for you to find the disappointed ones and show them God's grace knowing that we've been there and we will be there again. This is the battle. This is how we help each other through those valleys. Watch Joseph's response, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You see, and right there we see that Joseph believes that God is not only with him, but that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And these aren't random, pointless disappointments in his life, that God has always had some kind of purpose, whether he could see it or not. He trusted the hand of God in his life, even when it led to great disappointment. And now for the first time, we realize that Joseph did connect the dots, that Joseph did find the point in his disappointment. Because look at verse twenty. It says, you, brothers, you intended to harm me. Oh, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done. What is now being done? The saving of many lives. I can't help but think, in Joseph's life through those years, that this fill-in-the-blank went through his mind over and over. What is the point of my decades of disappointment. When he's laying there in Potiphar's house at night in bed, do you not wonder if he had to have wrestled with this one. When he was there in the dungeon at night for all those years, if he didn't night after night all alone think, what is the point of my decades of disappointment? If he's sitting there feeling forgotten and abandoned by his own family, he's wondering, what is the point of my decades of disappointment? And yet he kept resting somehow in the fact that God was with him and in the end we finally discover that his point of the disappointment is the saving of many lives that there was a point to it all and he got to in his own lifetime discover and enjoy what god was up to now after that crazy vision that god gave me in 2007 the disappointment that followed, and then the 10 years that we lived in California as a family. Back in March of this year, God brought our family right here to Life Point Church. A church that is laser focused on reaching people for Jesus. And the fact that, yeah, amen. And the fact that I get to be here and serve with you all just reminds me that dreams do come true. But I will tell you this. For 14 years, this was the blank in my life. What was the point again of my deep disappointment? Right? And a lot of us never get to fill that blank in. I bet you ask that question from time to time. Joseph spent decades Some will never know. In fact, we see that in Hebrews where Paul says many died never knowing the promise. They never got to see the fulfillment. You see, faith, and this is where it's dangerous because this is the tempting thing to fill in the blank. Faith is not filling in that blank. Faith is trusting God when I can't fill in the blank. Faith is saying, God, I know you're with me and because you're with me, I know you're in charge and there's no such thing as me being the victim of random pointless disappointment. You have a purpose that I may not understand. And there are things I don't know that you do and I will trust you even when there's no answer for the blank. God's in control. Here's the bottom line. Because God is with you, because God is with us, It ensures that there is an unseen point to my seeing disappointment. I have no trouble seeing the disappointment. I just can't see the point behind it. But because God is with us, there is an unseen point. I just have to trust God with it. He can see it all. I have a very limited view. So how do I pray? How do I pray in the end? Let me tell you how you're tempted to pray because you're like me. This prayer. Why me? Right? Right? That's the first thing, and that's the most natural response. But you and I know there's a much better way that keeps us from getting stuck. How do I pray during my disappointment? Let me give you three thoughts. Would you ask, God, am I focused on my disappointment or on your presence? Second, would you pray, God, even when I don't see you or the point behind this, help me to trust you. Even when there's no answer to the blank. And then finally, would you really be courageous enough if you're not wrestling with disappointment right now to say, God, will you show me someone I can point to your presence? Just like Joseph did his brothers. Now I want us to end by doing something a little bit different today because what I know for sure is in a room with people, this many people, there is a lot of disappointment represented in this room. We're in a broken world, and life can be hard. And we come together in a room like this, and we are reminded, if nothing else, we are not alone. God is with you, and God's people are with you. And so this will take a step of courage, but I'm gonna ask you to take it. Today, if you are wrestling with some level of disappointment this Christmas season, In a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray for you as we begin this season that you would experience his presence like never before. And I know there are many of us in that place. So if you have any disappointment in your life, would you just right now, would you just stand where you are so that I can pray for you and lift you up before the Father? Would you just stand? Yeah, many of you. Go ahead, just stand right now where you are. Just stand and I wanna pray for you. now what to ask if someone is standing near you would you not let them stand alone and would you stand with them maybe you would even extend your hands toward them and let's all stand and just cover them in prayer together I want to voice it Let's pray. Father, in this moment, we know there's a room full of people who are wrestling with disappointment at some level. God, we know you are in charge. We know you are in control. And we are so thankful that you are with us. Lord, I have no idea what the possible reasons could be for the disappointment that's here. God, give us a sense of your presence. Lord, give us a sense of your love and your empathy to understand how deeply you care for us, how intimately you walk with us. You tell us that you are near those who are crushed in spirit, that you are near. Those who are brokenhearted, that you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with us, and that your rod and your staff, they don't correct us, they comfort us. God, help us to experience that this season. And though it's tempting to focus more on our disappointment, may we, like never before, embrace your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage hearts in this room with your presence the promise of your presence. I pray this blessing over each and every one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.